Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Just a few minutes ago, I finished listening to the press conference of the news from the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department with regard to the murder of Auxiliary Bishop uh, David O'Connell, and I'll share more with you the latest news. Um, if you didn't catch a press conference, latest news is that they have apprehended a suspect, a murder suspect. As of early this morning, they had a tip-off that came, and it's been a manhunt the last 48-plus hours uh, with, the, with uh, the Los Angeles County Police, and they have done an incredible job. Uh, again, they have a murder suspect. I'll share more details with you about that. So just stay with me here. I'll be sharing more a little later in the hour. Joining me in just a moment today, we're in our weekly happy hour in the midst of horrible news. I actually knew um, Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell personally, and I'll share a little bit about my story with him. I actually in some ways attribute the gift of the fact that we have children today uh, to his intervention and intercession and prayers for me and my family and have had the honor of serving alongside him um, and the board of directors and the pro-life movement and various pro-life nonprofits. Incredible, incredible pro-life Catholic uh, bishop. And I bring up the pro-life side because that's where I've had the opportunity to work alongside him. And I've seen him there side by side with some of the teenagers I've had the honor to work on training in the pro-life movement as they go to the sidewalk and they pray uh, for an end to abortion. They pray and they sidewalk counsel and their bishop is with them. He's been with us on the sidewalk countless times, inspiring and encouraging teenagers to be out there and pray when other people are scared. I remember even uh, during COVID when, you know, people were scared to be out in front of the abortion clinic. He said, nope, we're going. And he would go out there and he would be standing out there uh, with the teenagers. Just incredibly impressive human being and an absolute gift uh, to our church. And we pray for the repose of his soul. We'll talk a little bit more about him in just a little bit. Joining me today on Trending during our weekly happy hour is Sister Tina Alfieri. Uh, Sister Tina is an addiction specialist, a therapist. She especially works with addictive disorders, uh, especially with regard to sexual addictions. And she's incredible. She's actually a hermited nun. And I love having her on the show because she brings together where faith and science come together uh, in in everything that we're doing. So if you want to grow in your spiritual life, if you're struggling with an addiction, a sin, uh, we're going to talk about it here on Trending. And especially as we're heading into Lent, this is a particularly important time uh, to do this because Sister Tina is going to help us decide what we will do this Lent. If you haven't already decided, a Lent is that time where 
you can actually say, hey, what's getting in the way of my happiness? And a lot of the time, it has to do with me, those decisions, those choices, those things that we are putting into our own lives uh, that need to be vetted, that sin that needs to be eradicated from our lives. You might just think of it as a bad habit, but it likely is sin. And there's often one predominant sin that uh, you may struggle with, that I struggle with. And so working on that this Lent could be a game changer. So joining me now is Sister Tina Alfieri, again, an addiction specialist, a incredible spiritual director, and a hermited nun. Sister Tina, welcome back to Trending. Thank you so much, Timory. God bless you. I appreciate the invitation. It's wonderful to have you back. It's been quite some time. I know you were caring for family uh, for some time, so it's been a little while. You're maybe new to some of our newer listeners. Uh, Sister Tina, as we head into Lent, uh, I know over the last few years, there's been this return to asceticism within the church, uh, which has been really neat to see. I I would say, um, you know, you're seeing an increase in people turning toward fasting and taking up penances, uh, more so than we had maybe seen um, over the last 30, 40 years. And with that, you know, I think comes the question of don't just take up a penance for penance's sake necessarily, uh, Mm -hmm. but take it so that you can grow in your spiritual life and eradicate sin from your life. So what would you recommend in terms of maybe I say, hey, I'm not happy because of X, Y, and Z. linking our unhappiness, how do we link our unhappiness to things that we can work on this Lent? So I like um, to use a little bit of what the great spiritual director, St. Francis de Sales, had to say about living one's vocation well. Uh, We all have a vocation in life. Some of us are consecrated people. Some of us are lay people. Some of us are married persons. We all have a vocation. And St. Francis de Sales says that doing the will of God means living one's vocation well. That's very difficult to do if we're going to do it well. And if we are wanting to do the will of God and to live it well, It means really working on ourselves and growing in the virtues. This is very difficult to do. This takes a lot of mortification. It takes a long time to work, but it's better to start now than to never tackle (laughs) these issues. So I'm encouraging, I think the challenge or a, a task maybe for everyone is to ask themselves in my vocation of life, Am I living it well now for married people? This is pretty easy. Ask your spouse. (laughs) Ask your spouse, am I living my vocation as husband or wife? Am I living that well? But let's remember also being a parent may be part of that vocation as well. So am I being a good parent? Am I parenting in the best way possible? Am I exhibiting the virtues to my children, to my spouse, to my neighbors? For single people out there, maybe high school or college folks, if your vocation is as a single student, are you using your time wisely? How are your study habits? Are you doing everything that you can possibly do 
to use the God-given talents you have. If we are living our vocation well, we're living it for the glory of God, and it's helping us to also grow in the virtues. I love these examples, Sister Tina, because it comes back to what is my state in life? And we become so mm-hmm. distracted. And yet, if we focus on our state in life, we recognize where our primary responsibilities are and then often our primary sins and faults. It is a culture we often don't think about that. You know, married uh, people, husbands and wives get distracted by career, right? And mm-hmm. and it's easy to forget, okay, first is that vocation as a spouse and then as a parent. Or if you're single, you know, there's so many things I think drawing single people in many directions, uh, from dissatisfaction to, um, again, just dissatisfaction to distraction, and they're there at the core. So I really appreciate these examples. If you were taking a deep dive with, I know you work a lot with uh, couples or Mm -hmm. individuals dealing with addiction, what would you say are some of the common themes of things that you see might be, you know, easy for us to pick up on, maybe especially as a single person uh, to work on with that in mind? I think for couples, one of the um, biggest uh, areas I think that always needs work or a little brushing up or touching up, finessing on is clear communication. And clear communication takes time, intentional time. I strongly encourage busy husbands, busy wives to take five or 10 minutes every day, intentionally sitting down with your spouse face to face, no TV, no phone, no iPhones, no computers, no laptops, and just having at least five to 10 minutes of checking in with each other. How are you doing? How are we doing as a couple? So that's every day, but then maybe once a week, take a little bit more time, 30 minutes to an hour, intentional time alone. If there are little ones, hopefully maybe they're taking a nap (laughs) that can be scheduled maybe around nap time. Or if they can be, uh, if they're older, they might be able to entertain themselves while mom and dad have 30 minutes of time alone behind a closed door to really check in with one another intentionally and ask those questions. Hey, how are you doing? How am I doing as a spouse? What can I do to help get you to heaven? What, uh, what do I need from you to help me get to heaven? So having it very intentional and having it often, and it doesn't have to be uh, long amounts of time, but small, frequent doses really goes a long way to keeping that communication clear. I appreciate this more now that I have a second child. We just welcomed (laughs) with the birth of our second baby in December. And, you know, I see like with one additional child in the home, there's that much more time being drawn in another direction. I guess maybe in some ways you could say away from your spouse or with your spouse away from each other toward, you know, this this child. And so uh, that five minutes a day, like I get it. Like it's harder than it was before Mm -hmm. to just check in. It's easy just to be running around with a toddler 
and a seven-week-old just, you know, with your head chopped off. And so to take that moment of like, okay, at least five minutes today, we just stopped and we acknowledged that the other person was there and and that the other person was doing okay and that, you know, am I doing okay? And am I able to communicate that? But then taking that additional time, which is why I appreciate, again, now that I'm in the season life the need for that month with that weekly date because that's one mm-hmm. way in which you're making that time to both have fun with each other but also be able to do this check-in as well exactly and it's also important um that especially as children come into the picture that husbands and wives remember that their vocation is number one spouse then parent. And so we want to keep the, um, I guess, the primacy or the primary focus on the coupleship and then on the children. We don't want to become a child-focused or child-centered marriage. We want to remain a coupleship that's primary, and from that love comes children. And so, as couples, sometimes they lose the romance between one another because It's Sister Tina Alfieri here on Trending with Timory. She's an addiction therapist and specialist, also working in sexual addiction. She works as a recovery coach addressing addictive disorders, and she's here to help us work through what we're going to do this Lent, uh, things that are getting in the way of our happiness to orient us and direct us toward those sins, those that are also usually bad habits that we need to eradicate from our lives. You know know what's making you unhappy, but the question is, what do you do to fix it? Sister Tina has been talking about how it's important to start by asking yourself that question. What is my vocation in life, and am I living it well? You know, if you're married, you know, your first vocation is a spouse, and then as a parent, if you're single, you know, as a student, using your time wisely. Um, What do your study habits look like? If you're not a student, you know, if you're working, are you being a responsible worker? And all of us, I think, to talk about that in the workforce today and um, the responsibility of work there's such a laziness i'm fascinated by how many people now are working remotely but how often people just also don't work there's a difference between getting your job done and getting away with doing very little and it's been striking to me to see uh, how that's played out over the last couple of years especially as someone who's always worked from home since i was in high school um, i did work remotely uh, so it is interesting to see kind of that conversation uh, you're listening to trending with timory here on relevant radio it's our weekly happy hour if you have a question for sister tina the number is one eight 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 Again, she's an addiction specialist. She's a therapist. She is a hermit. And we're happy to take your questions, especially as you're preparing for Lent, which kicks off this Ash Wednesday. I'm going to be sharing with you in just a little bit information about the rest made in the murder of Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell. Striking and startling information came out this weekend that he was murdered in I had learned in his home in Hacienda Heights. And there's news that's come out with regard to uh, the suspect that they apprehended early this morning. And wanted to share as well a little bit about my personal uh, relationship with 
Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell, as I've had the opportunity to work alongside with him, uh, serving in pro-life ministries here in Southern California. So uh, we'll be right back here on Trending. Numbers 1-888-914-9149. We'll be right back with Sister Tina Alfieri, again, that therapist and addiction specialist helping to get us ready for Lent, giving her candid advice as a hermit, directing us in spiritual direction, but taking sound uh, science, the science of therapy, and incorporating it into what we will do. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Our Catholic community grieves the loss of Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell. The press conference ended just a short bit ago with the latest news in the apprehension of a sus- suspected or suspected murderer. Uh, in the case. If you don't know, Archbishop was found on Saturday afternoon and he was shot in the chest. Uh, they then spent the next 48 hours in a manhunt uh, searching for the man that they arrested. And I'll share details with you about the press conference as well as some personal stories about Archbishop, or sorry, Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell, as I knew him personally, had the honor to work alongside him in the pro-life movement. Incredible man. And I actually have a personal story about great impact he had on my family and the fact that we now have children today. So stay with me today here on Trending with Timory. Joining me now is Sister Tina Alfieri, a good friend of the show. She is a certified sexual addiction therapist and a recovery coach for addictive disorders. She's a spiritual director and a hermited nun, and her insights into the spiritual life are so profound, helping us to make our way into Lent. If you have a question, you can ask it now on social media. Follow me at Timory, T I M M. E-R-I-E, or by giving me a call, 1-888-914-9149. Sister Tina is here and happy to take your question. Sister Tina, a number of questions have come come in, especially as we head into Lent. And this whole theme of you know choosing something to pull out of our lives and the with the idea that it's getting in the way of our happiness. And David sent in a question. He said, what are your thoughts on stoicism? Stoicism teaches detachment of self and things, but where does it go too far into apathy? He said, I'm struggling with apathy toward people in the degenerate culture we live in. How do I know what is detachment and what is apathy? Oh, wow. That's such a fantastic question. So I'm not a theologian, but the little bit I do know about Stoicism, I actually like because, yes, it does deal with detachment. Detachment is a concept we use a lot in addiction recovery, especially for friends, families, loved ones of addicts. We encourage folks to detach from the problem, not the addict, but the problem and the problem behavior. So detachment means to stand back with love and to not do something for someone that they can or ought to be doing for themselves. Now, that's different from apathy. Apathy means I do not care. I could not care less. I do not care less. Um, And it has a twinge of uh, a disconnect. Whereas um, detaching with love 
means I will help you in any way I can as long as I am not enabling you. Apathy means I'm not going to help you even if I can, even if I ought to, even if I should. I think apathy um, is missing a special ingredient, and that, that ingredient is the Holy Spirit. I think when people get apathetic, um, it means that they've lost touch, uh, they've lost sight, uh, they've lost the spirit, so to speak. Um, the spirit gives us compassion, and the spirit gives us holy love for our neighbor to help them, holy love for our enemies to help them. Apathy is just the opposite. Apathy does not care about anyone for any reason. So I think there's a big difference between stoicism and apathy. I hope that maybe helps clarify a little bit. I do think it is helpful because I get this question in the respect that you know, there's this uh, push sometimes within the Catholic world to kind of leave the world completely, right? And, you know, just focus, raise your family, just be here with your family, don't interact with the world. There's a difference between recognizing, okay, just the work I have to do with my family is a responsibility and me saying, you know what? The whole world's going to hell in a handbag, and I'm just going to pull back, and who cares? You can go burn, but I'm just going to stay here in my Catholic utopia in a certain respect. And I'm not saying that it's bad to pull away from the world. I agree with that. I like to live away from people. I like my space. I, You know, I think that these are important things, but there's a difference between that stoicism, which endures what's happening and says, hey, I just don't like you and or maybe better yet i just don't even care about you which i almost mm -hmm. think that saying i don't like you is better than saying i don't care about you in a certain respect what are your thoughts there i think that uh we are called to care uh we are called to love our enemies so this is in scripture uh we are to love our neighbor as ourselves there's no way around this so apathy really has no place in a Christian life. Um, we do not want to, you know, go overboard and overextend ourselves where we are ignoring our own responsibilities in order to be out and about doing good works or charitable work. It's about finding balance. And I think what's very important, again, is the Holy Spirit will help to guide us if we ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So spending some time in prayer and trying to find that balance and that moderation. Uh, you know, all things in moderation, moderation is another um, philosophical uh, um, edict that the uh, Greek philosophers also gave. Everything in moderation and I think that that explains the delicate balance between trying to be charitable and do good work, yet not become apathetic, uh, because that really is not charitable at all. And that apathy has no place in, again, the, the Christian life. It just doesn't. It's, 
It's the antithesis of the Christian life. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think, Sister Tina, that, you know, we're striving to be saints. And when we talk about striving to be saints, we're not striving to be saints so that our stories are told. We're trying, we're striving to be in heaven with God. And we think Mm -hmm. of saints and we think of the stories of their lives. Well, what do we know about the stories of their lives? These were not apathetic people. They were people who cared deeply about their love for God and their the fact that they wanted to be with him, which meant that they weren't apathetic to where they were going, but then that also meant they cared about where other people were going and always ended up calling them in their own way to good works within the community that Mm -hmm. they lived in. And so I think maybe if you're struggling with apathy to look at how the saints have gone before us, they wanted to be holy just like you do, but they didn't allow it to just uh, turn in on itself. And that's, I think, very important. Okay, more yes, questions and, coming in. Go ahead, Sister Tina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say, and that, you know, kind of speaks a bit to my vocation as hermit. Hermits are not running away from the world. I didn't become a hermit because I hate people. <laughs> I can't stand the world. No, hermits run to something, and that to something is to Jesus Christ. So hermits are not running away from the world either. And so hermits can't have an apathetic um, uh, taste for, you know, people uh, or doing your own thing. That's the antithesis of Christian charity and Christian love. So, you know, this this, uh, permeates everything we do. Also, for those who may be out there that are hermits or contemplating uh, becoming a hermit, we don't become hermits because we're fed up with the world. That's not that. That's the antithesis of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Could you talk for those who are curious? And okay, Sister Tina, you're a hermit. What does that look like? And you know, I know that you do a lot of um, video and phone consultations. So, what does being a hermit look like in the 21st century, and for you in particular? <laughs> that's a great question. I always joke that, you know, my hermitage has Wi-Fi and air conditioning and a coffee maker. (laughs) And a coffee maker. (laughs) (laughs) have to have coffee. Um, So my life is very simple. Um, I earn my keep, yes, because I'm a psychotherapist and a spiritual director. Uh, So I do the majority of my work over the Internet or via phone. But I also go into an office setting, uh, a private office setting. It's just me when I'm there. There's nobody else there. Once a week uh, to see people in person for therapy or spiritual direction. And so my life is very quiet. Uh, I have a rule of life that I follow with the liturgy of the hours, math, prayer, Um, And I do charitable work myself. Uh, Most of the charitable work I do uh, revolve around taking care of animals, basically cats. Where I live, I live in a high-crime, low-income area where people cannot afford to have their cats spayed or neutered. And so that's something that I take on. I either volunteer to help people get their cat to the vet and help pay for them to get spayed or neutered. Or here in 
where I reside, we have a great program that's called Trap, Neuter, Return, TNR, Operation Catnip, run by the University of Florida Veterinary School, where you trap feral cats that live in colonies, have them neutered, and then return them to the colonies so they cannot repopulate. Um, So there's just, you know, that's a solitary effort (laughs) uh, as far as me going out and, like, you know, catching a cat. Um, I don't do any of anything else except try to get the cat uh, to the Operation Catnip and get them taken care of and returned to their feral colony. So, you know, it's a lot that can be done that mm-hmm. really doesn't involve necessarily running away from people or checking out on life. Again, that's not Christian. I pray, uh, I sacrifice, I uh, practice penance and mortifications. I have a spiritual director who I see for spiritual direction. I go see him at the end of this week. Um, And so there's just a lot that can be done, but it's not a turning away from people or leaving the world, so to speak. It's embracing things through silence and prayer. Mm-hmm. Let's dive into more questions. That's Sister Tina Alfieri here on Trending with Timory. Uh, for those who don't know her, if you have a question, the number is 1-888-914-9149 or ask your question now on social media. Just follow me at Timory, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. A follow-up on the detachment question. Peter in San Jose, California is on the line. Peter, what's your question for Sister Tina today? There's a word very... Oh, I think we've got a bad connection, Peter. If you want to try and call back, we'd love to take uh, your question, or I'm happy to pass it along if you want to let our phone operator know. Um, In the meantime, Chris wrote in, he asked, I understand the ascetical life spiritually, but is there a case for the ascetical life scientifically, both physically and mentally? And is it good for the body? And if so, what kind of ascetical life? Uh, Before we kind of go a little further, can you just define for those who might not know what an ascetical life is? And then we can dive into that question, Sister Tina. Certainly. So the ascetical life means some type of uh, penitential life, penitential acts, or mortification, acts of mortification of the body and the passions. So mortifications are things that we do to the body. Uh, this might include fasting. This might include abstinence from meat. It might include things like um, sleeping on the floor. It might include things uh, such as uh, having less food at a meal. It might be making a concerted effort to eat whatever might be set in front of us and not to complain. So those are all mortifications. Anything that is affecting the body or um, the uh, senses, uh, where we're trying to become the master of the senses instead of having the senses master us or the body master us. And a penitential life is usually seen as taking on extra works of prayer or acts of mercy. So this is where we have people uh, who maybe have a preference for 
saying the rosary, saying the divine mercy chaplet, going to visit the sick in the hospitals, going and being involved in prison ministry. These things are more penitential um, because they're not about mastering the senses or mastering the passions. It's more about taking on extra work and sufferings for the good of others. And so is there any... Yeah, is yeah, there any science behind this? Yeah, well, and, you know, we, we know, know spiritually it's good for us, but what about scientifically? And if so, what parts of that is beneficial or are beneficial? <laughs> yeah, I'm not up on the science behind it, other than I do know that, that there have been numerous studies about uh, how prayer, uh, mental prayer, uh, is wonderful for uh, lowering blood pressure and helping to control one's uh, sense of calm and sense of peace. There have been some studies that show that people who do pray live longer. There have been some studies that demonstrate people who attend Mass regularly live longer. I don't know why that is, but there are studies that prove that. I've not, I'm not familiar with any studies about uh, more penitential or aesthetical uh, practices and how that might uh, be doing anything for the body. We do know that um, in the devout life, in the spiritual life, we have senses uh, and we cannot let them rule us. We must be the master of our senses. So this coming Lent, you might want to ask yourself, what is in charge of my life? Are my senses in charge of my life? Do I eat whatever I want to eat, whenever I want to eat, how much I want to eat? Do I sleep whenever I want, how long as I want? Um, do I... Um, entertain myself with technology or uh, the computer for as long as I want, however long I want, watching whatever I want. All of these things are, uh, instead of ruling us, ruling them, sometimes they begin to rule us. And I'm not even talking about addictions yet. I'm just talking about simple, the passions start to take over. And I think that's where, you know, this kind of rolls back around to the very first topic that we had about living one's vocation well. Um, How am I doing in my vocation? If I am a student, am I studying as I should, as I ought? Am I putting enough time into my studies or am I barely sliding by, uh, you know, taking the path of least resistance? During this Lent, I challenge or encourage everyone to take on the task of whatever your vocation is, living it well, living it well. And that Mm -hmm. means growing in the virtues. Mm -hmm. And knowing what those virtues are, right? I mean, knowing what they are, gentleness, um, peace, you know, uh, we could go through 
courage, and on and on in the list. Know what those virtues mm-hmm. are. It's so important because you can pray for the gift of them and then in concrete ways work toward them. And just kind of exactly. following up on Chris's question about um, if there are good elements of the aesthetical life that we know proven physically, mentally, um, one area that I think has been fascinating to see has been how inter- intermittent fasting has really uh, taken on over the last five years. And intermittent fasting is something that historically cultures have always done, especially religious cultures, in particular Judaism, following into Christianity. And it's fascinating to see that the medical scientific data is out there. I mean, all the way down to the fact that when you intermittent fast for a certain amount of time and human growth hormone kicks in your body, you have regenerative cells that kick into your body. Uh, And people are going to clinics today for um, stem cells to help heal and boost the health and immunity and heal things in the body. Well, that actually kicks in and functions naturally when we fast. And so connecting fasting in the in um, the ascetical life of Catholicism with what's happening with fasting and, you know, the weight loss movement is really, really neat to see that connection. And, you know, it's funny, Sister Jean, because I think when people think asceticism today, they think, oh, well, you know, just giving up sugar is a sacrifice for me. But 80, 90 years ago, sugar within the culture did not look the way it did today. And it's interesting because so often we point to things and we go, oh, I need to kind of cut this out for my life and it's such a sacrifice. And it is because it's become so normative. Um, But in actuality, it's only normative because of the current culture. It's not normative behavior in general. And that actually brings me to a question that came through from Brian's sister, Tina. Uh, We have a short amount of time uh, here, but I do want to dive into this. Uh, Brian's asking a question about where do we draw the line between what is socially um, a societal norm and actually morally acceptable as a normal behavior. So he gives the example of things that are absolute wrong such as premarital sex, transgenderism, marijuana, and yet things that seem very commonplace, such as the way we use social media or the way we eat sugar and our gluttonous kind of food culture we live in. How do we as Catholics exist in this world where there are a lot of seemingly normative behaviors that are actually not good, normal, moral behaviors to be engaging in, such as the way we do in social media or in the way we eat? Fantastic question. Yes, and this is where we have to have the help of the Holy Spirit. Pray, pray, pray. Ask for the Spirit's guidance to show you where you are lacking. I think this is so important. The Holy Spirit is here to help us, to be our advocate, to enlighten us. Ask the Holy Spirit, please, show me where I am lacking. Show me where I can do better, uh, you know, that secular society is not ruling my life, that secular society is not ruling my heart, my mind, that I'm focused on Christ, and that that's where I want my loyalty to be. And, you know, you bring up uh, intermittent fasting, uh, and the question that this gentleman brings up about what's normative that kind of brings to mind snack food. I don't know how old some of your listeners are. I'm of a certain age where there were no snack foods when I was growing up as a kid. A snack was a piece of fruit. We, you know, there, there weren't uh, Tito's, Doritos, Fritos, anything in an, in an O or wrapped in cellophane. So it's like, you know, now we have a snacking mentality 
of all sorts of snack foods. And I think that that's also something that is a bit of a uh, secular idea that it's just eating for pleasure or eating for convenience. Mm. Again, it's that idea of my senses are in charge. They're ruling my body. And again, this is an area where I would encourage everyone. This is something easy to do for Lent. Give up snack food. Give up snacking in between meals at all. Even if it is a healthy snack, maybe like a piece of fruit, um, do yourself a little bit of aesthetical practice. Practice a little bit of abstinence between meals. If it's too much or too difficult uh, to think about going an entire day of fasting, start with something small and be faithful to it. Don't eat between meals. Take the snack foods out. Try not to eat even a healthy snack. Now, I know that there are people who, due to medical reasons, either pregnancy, diabetes, special health issues, have to eat between meals. You are exempt. You never have to do anything that's going to harm your health. But I think a lot of people can get by without snacking. That's Sister Tina Alfieri here on Trending with Timory. Real quick, I want to go to the line with Peter. Peter had a comment with regard to that challenge when trying to be stoic, where sometimes um, David was commenting earlier that it leads him to apathy sometimes, and he was trying to work through that. Uh, Peter, what's your comment about stoicism and detachment and apathy? Thank you for taking my call. Um, There's another word that belongs with detachment when you're dealing with interacting with other people or the world, and that is unconditional. So if you're offering help to somebody or you're offering love to somebody, any way interacting with the world, if you do it unconditionally, that means you're not expecting any kind of result, whether it's success or failure, doesn't matter you are offering what it is you're offering unconditionally, and that is detachment, at least in relation to outside of you. Mm-hmm. Peter, you know, I appreciate that comment because I think sometimes because we have such a wide reach of knowing so many things happening in the world, you know, not just in the city over, but in another country, that when we are apathetic sometimes toward like, hey, I can't do something for my neighbor or um sorry, not my neighbor, but like people on the other side of the world that I become apathetic because I emotionally, mentally just can't handle or can't do anything about that. But often people who think that they are apathetic are actually just protecting themselves from the fact that I can't do anything about that there. But in my own community, I actually do offer disinterested um, help to others. This no strings attached, unconditional help. You know, I think of one of my friends who would very easily, if anyone was ever on the side of the road, pulled over would pull over in our small town we grew up in and help them you know needed a spare tire had a flat tire whatever was going on would be there helping a stranger completely unconditionally and I think that's helpful and it reminds me of that theme of disinterested love that 
we're called to love people, but not seeking our own interests. And that's a phrase that one of my therapy friends had shared with me that there's not enough conversation, especially in American society, about the need for disinterested love, this constant need to receive something from people. That's been Sister Tina Alfieri, a hermit and nun, an addiction specialist here on Trending, one of my favorite guests. We'll have to find a link uh, to some of her episodes here on Trending. I'll post a link in social media as well as in the episode notes to help you prepare for life. Sister Tina's a sure help. We thank you, Sister Tina, and I will be right back to talk about the press conference from this afternoon about the murder and arrest of a possible suspect in Bishop David O'Connell's death. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. If you haven't already heard the news, it's great with regret that I share that Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell from the Archdiocese of Los Angeles was murdered this Saturday in his home, shot in the chest. Uh, The police there, law enforcement in the in the county of Los Angeles, then proceeded for the next nearly 48 hours um, on a manhunt to try and find this person running after any tip they can. I just came off of the press conference about an hour ago uh, with a sheriff of Los Angeles, and he shared the information of having apprehended a suspect in um, the murder of Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell. Uh, it's flooring to hear about this, that a a Catholic priest, or better yet, a bishop would be murdered here in the United States of America. Uh, but it hits close to home because I personally know Bishop David O'Connell. He is an incredible human being, and I'll share a little bit with you about my personal experience with him. If you don't know him, uh, he was native from uh, Cork, Ireland, and he served in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles since 1979. Uh, He was elevated to uh, the position of bishop uh, back in, I think, 2015 or 17, somewhere right around there. And he fascinated. He actually spoke fluent Spanish, but with a very strong Irish accent. I say a strong Irish accent. It's a very elegant accent, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but Auxiliary Bishop, again, was murdered in his home this weekend. What we know about the suspect is that he was actually the husband of Bishop David O'Connell's housekeeper and that this man actually did a little bit of work outside of Bishop David O'Connell's home. Um, There was no forced entry from what the authorities have reported, and he was shot at least once in his chest, uh, and he was found on Saturday afternoon. He was found by a deacon who had called 911 because... Bishop was late for a meeting, and so when he went to go and check on him, he found Bishop David O'Connell deceased in his bedroom. Uh, There was no weapon found at the time. However, we do now know that the murder suspect uh, that they have in custody, that there were two weapons found in his home, and they're currently running ballistics on it to figure out if this was potentially connected to the murder of the bishop. Uh, There aren't a lot of details being released right now with regard to the entire situation. It's very fresh just over the last 48 hours. um, Law enforcement in the county of Los Angeles have been working tirelessly uh, on this case and um, thank you to them and all that they've done to really seek justice um, 
for the bishop and for us Catholics. I know that I personally just look at all of the violence that's occurred against uh, our Catholic parishes, and my parish just over Christmas was vandalized. Uh, and uh, it, it's heartbreaking to see this these violent acts occurring. Um, from the little bit of details about the suspect they have for the murder of the bishop, it seems like it might have been something personal rather than uh, Catholic persecution per se. And I really do hope that's the case. And I hope this doesn't create uh, or encourage people uh, to greater violence toward uh, our Catholic faith and the great pro-life work uh, that's being done. How I personally know uh, the bishop is Bishop David O'Connell. I had the opportunity to serve alongside uh, in the nonprofit work of Vox Vitae, which is a pro-life leadership program for youth and training them up to be vocal, vocal advocates for their Catholic faith against some of the most challenging things in our culture, such as uh, transgenderism, the gender theory that's out there, uh, the crisis with regard to marriage, and the pro-life issue. And we've been there with these young people, and Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell has showed up time and time again leading young people praying and sidewalk counseling out in front of the abortion clinics in Los Angeles. He, even during COVID, when many people were scared away from praying or sidewalk counseling in front of the abortion clinics, he was there. He was there with the youth. Uh, He's known, actually well-known, both in the secular and religious community in Los Angeles for helping to prevent gang wars as things would uh, kind of stir up or as events were taking place between various gangs. He would show up there as a priest and then as a bishop to help de-escalate and prevent uh, the situation from occurring. And he actually, a few years ago, right after I'd been married, had kept calling me and telling me, you know, reaching out for me to come to his office so that he could uh, pray with me. And kind of long story short, you know, we were talking and it was on his heart and the Holy Spirit had really guided him to reach out uh, to pray with me. And he's known well for his deliverance prayers uh, that he would do um, with the community, helping to fortify us in the spiritual battle uh, against so many of just the terrible, terrible things impacting our lives, but recognizing the real spiritual battle with regard to um, evil spirits, with regard to the demon, the devil fighting for our souls. And I remember he was asking me about the pro-life work I was doing. And he said, you know, with regard to me struggling with having children at the time and some of my health issues, he had prayed with me and had been praying exorcism prayers over me, uh, concerned that there had been uh, things that had negatively impacted me from the pro-life work I had done that could be preventing me from having children. And he told me I was going to have children. And when I was there in his office, I've actually shared this before, but I don't know if I shared that I was there with him. I'd actually had a vision of Our Lady, an outline of Our Lady. Um, She was pregnant. It was on the feast day of the Immaculate Conception. And I just kept hearing her say over and over again, I am the Immaculate Conception. I'm the Immaculate Conception, and Bishop O'Connell was there holding uh, the Benedictine, huge, like, two-foot Benedictine crucifix over my head, holding it over my body, and just praying for me, uh, praying for the work that uh, I was doing at the time, praying for any spirits that were impacting body, soul, uh, to be gone, and just saying, you know, you'll be able to have children, and and was so encouraging and so loving for the pro-life work that we do for the youth 
um, for the marginalized. He really personified what we're called to do, uh, and that is to be with one another when our bishops are called to be with their sheep, to be with their people, to guide them. He has done that. And I've seen this in the pro-life work he's done, the work he's done serving the board of directors for Vox Vite, the pro-life organization. I had the opportunity to work alongside him on, and I just pray for his soul. And I look at what's happening in the culture, and, you know, God allows these things to happen. Uh, He doesn't choose for them to happen, but he does. And rather than turning bitter and angry over these situations, we have the opportunity to look at a very holy man and be thankful for the gift of his life and the gift of his work and to pray for whatever may come from this entire situation. So eternal rest grant unto Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Tuesday, I'm taking your questions as we get ready for Lent, kicking off this Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. Also take a deep dive into the life of St. Genevieve, bringing the stories of the saints to life, especially as we go into Lent, needing that holy inspiration. Maybe you can consider reading the story of a saint's life. So join me Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.